you're listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with your word for today. Brought to you today, um, not live from London or Cambridge, uh, but from Fatima in Portugal, uh, where I'll be with uh, priests from all around the the world. Um, I think about 37 other Radio Maria directors on the annual retreat. So be assured of my uh, prayers for you here, although it doesn't feel that far from home right now because it's pretty cold, wet and grey. But anyway, on to uh, yesterday's gospel um, taken from from Sunday um, and uh, and a difficult gospel and, and one I think that bears spending some time with. So this is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 22. Jesus began to speak to the chief priests and elders of the people in parables. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a feast for his son's wedding. He sent his servants to call those who had been invited, but they would not come. Next, he sent some more servants. Tell those who have been invited, he said, that I have my banquet all prepared. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But they were not interested. One went off to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, maltreated them, and killed them. The king was furious. He dispatched his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burnt their town. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but as those who are invited prove to be unworthy, go to the crossroads in the town and invite everyone you can find to the wedding. So these servants went out onto the roads and collected together everyone they could find, bad and good alike, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came in to look at the guests, he noticed one man who was not wearing a wedding garment and said to him, How did you get in here, my friend, without a wedding garment? And the man was silent. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the dark, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I heard a saying uh, recently which I thought was uh, pretty good. It says, when you're good at making excuses, it's hard to get really good at anything else. And in the gospel we've just heard, Jesus tells a parable about a king who invited people to his son's wedding banquet, but they all failed to turn up, making some excuses. Some even seized, maltreated, and killed the messengers. Understandably, then, the king is furious, but perhaps more shocking to us, in a fit of rage, he kills the people, burns down the city, and then throws a party open to all. But even then, he still finds himself having to throw out a man who came in without a wedding garment. I think it's possible to hear this gospel and think that the problem is with the king, that he has some kind of anger problem. And I think it can be difficult for us to associate the king with God the Father as the parable intends. But sometimes when people aren't listening, you have to shout to be heard. What we might dismiss as an exaggerated narrative might be exactly what is necessary to shake up a society that has lost a sense of God, 
perhaps even to shake us, to remind us that it is not God who owes us, but the other way round. A stark warning and a loving God are not incompatible. And that thought particularly comes to mind here in Fatima, where the three seers actually had a vision of hell. But throughout the scriptures, the imagery of a wedding feast is used to talk about God's relationship with humanity. Jesus, who was himself a guest at the wedding feast at Cana, is in his very self the wedding of heaven and earth, the coming together of divinity and humanity. There's a beautiful, beautiful prayer in the Mass which the priest says, or a deacon if there is one, as he prepares the chalice and pours a drop of water into the wine. It's said quietly, but sometimes I wish it was said out loud because I think it's so profound and so important. But it goes as follows. By the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. It's the heart of our faith in that prayer. Baptism and the Eucharist, ways in which we share in Christ's life ways in which our humanity is joined to his divinity. Back to the parable, though. On this occasion, the king is God the Father, who is giving a banquet for his only son, Jesus, whose bride is the church. In other words, we the invitees are not just guests, but also in some sense in this parable, we're being put forward as the bride to this outstanding groom. And this wedding is a state event. Honouring the invitation is a way of expressing one's loyalty to the throne, whilst declining, on the other hand, suggests rebellion. Choose your king and kingdom. Christ the king and the city of God, the heavenly city, or the city of the world and its prince of darkness. There's a choice to be made. And contrary to what we might often think, not choosing is itself choice. Isaiah, in the first reading which you would have heard on Sunday, describes the menu at this banquet as containing the choicest of foods and wines. He also discloses that here death is destroyed forever. In other words, eternal life is the wedding fancy. It's the party bag. Just as people leave with chocolates and other mementos at wedding ceremonies, here people are taking away eternal life. What a wedding gift. If you were invited to such a banquet, you don't start checking your diary to see what else might be going on. You drop everything and you go, and you go immediately. You cannot get a better invitation. If you recognize who is inviting and what the invite is to, you do not say, sorry, not this week, my kids have got football. No other religion has ever proposed a more extraordinary opportunity to humanity. And rarely in the history of the church have Christians been so blasé about it. It is a marriage that is meant to offer us a share in the divine life. Yes, God took, he really did take human nature so that we can share in his divine nature. And in giving his son in marriage to us, God ultimately gives us his very self.
And so God's anger in the parable is also a metaphor for his burning desire to see humanity respond to this invitation to have life in abundance and not simply just exist. Jesus wants us to respond to his call. God's call comes with a sense of urgency and so must our response. Not, okay, thanks for letting me know, I'll come when I'm ready, or I'm just going to finish up the crossword, or yeah, after this episode of EastEnders, or even worse, I'm just going to doom scroll a little longer. If at any point today you feel a little impulse to prayer, respond immediately, pray, don't put it off. That's an action of God's grace in you. Even the very desire to pray is God's grace. Jesus wants his listeners to recognize what he is offering, who he is offering, and to choose conversion. And as I said, to recognize that there are only two choices, for him or against him. Now, we might try and console ourselves and say that what we were doing when we ignored his call, well, it simply had to get done. I'm sorry, Jesus. But so often, I think, it's not what we might think of as grievous sin that separates us from God, but rather a preoccupation with what we see as the necessities of life but which see us never lift our heads from the everyday to the eternal dimension. We can live life always looking down, never looking up, concerned with nothing more than satisfying our desires from the head down, never experiencing the transcendent. In the last week, you might ask yourself, how many truly contemplative moments did I have? How many moments without a phone? without noise, without chatter, how much time simply contemplating. They don't need to be long, but they do need to happen. Did you pray together as a family this week? The tragedy of our culture is the suggestion that we might be satisfied by grasping onto the goods of this world, career, pleasure, money, success, honor, or just simply a diet of light entertainment. And it's not that these are bad in themselves, it's okay to enjoy them, but they do not in themselves constitute the good life. They are not what human flourishing looks like. And if they become ultimate ends, then ultimately we compromise our relationship with God and his people. With the refusal of those originally invited The king throws the banquet hall open to all, good and bad alike, until the wedding hall is filled. There are now no elites. Jesus says to the self-righteous, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are getting into the kingdom of God before you. What matters is not what we are like at the moment we are invited, but that we respond to the invite. But we mustn't become complacent. The simple fact of having responded, of having come to the wedding, is not enough, as is shown by the man who gets thrown out for not wearing a proper wedding garment. We have to remember whose wedding it is we are being invited to, and remember that God invites us on his terms, not ours. His wedding, his dress code. We do not get to choose smart casual 
if he has said it's black tie. The Christian life is to live like Christ. Everyone is welcome to church, but on God's terms. And that's something we can struggle with, this universal call, but the particularity of the response. There is a dress code, and the dress code is the garment of charity, friendship with God, and to love the things that God loves. And that does not include sin. He loves us even as we sin, but he does not love our sin, and we must not cling to it. Otherwise, it will be our identity and not Jesus Christ. And having received so great an invite to so great a wedding, that would be a tragedy of eternal proportion.